Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Welcome! The end is the beginning is the end of some comics that we've talked about at one time or another on this cast. Yes, it says Comicals number 36. And um, in lieu of new stuff to talk about, we've actually been playing the catch-up game, all three of us. So it seems because uh, this is what happens sometimes, because <laughs> you see this huge stack of comics um, and you get this massive pang of guilt because you've just been buying them and not reading them. So it's it's time we did that, and that's exactly what I've been doing. And I think that's what you guys have been doing as well a little bit. Very much so, very much so. Yeah, definitely. Um, in case you didn't already guess, I am joined by the usual suspects. That is Leon. Yo. And Ray. Evening, lads. So, how have we been, guys? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, for people who, uh, for listeners who are in the UK, um, you can probably aware of the uh the weather taking a turn for the better so it's opened up some interesting possibilities now um the the idea of like the sort of lazy afternoon window open maybe some music playing sat on your sofa or bed or whatever with some uh comics in front of you it's a good time for that but even more so it kind of makes me want to uh like leave the house dun 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 and like go to a park or something or just go outside but then i remember people are noisy and loud uh, and i retreat back into my into my castle to read yeah. my comic books back gardens as far as i get usually oh uh, no <laughs> my neighbors no way um but i mean like you're mentioning the weather but this is like the, the most british thing ever by the way a podcast about comics and we're tying it to the weather no um <laughs> We had like huge thunderstorms this weekend, so I don't think that's really reading outside weather. <laughs> Not at night time, of course. I mean, I mean, yeah. your mileage may may vary, but I yeah. I try to avoid outside reading in the night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose it depends where you live. I'm, I'm not sure. Was it was it overnight for everyone? I don't know, but yeah, uh, I'm but just I'm just trying to trying to be awkward and. The thing is, it point. would it would kind of be cool if you got struck by lightning while reading a comic book. You could get those powers <laughs> while reading the Flash. <laughs> uh, that, well, I, I, I wouldn't have been reading him at the time, so I wouldn't have got those powers. Yeah, I've been reading comics about mental health issues, so I really don't want to be struck by lightning while reading about that. <laughs> if, if, if you absorb the thing that you're holding in your hands, that's that wouldn't have worked for me at all. Um, so, uh, I guess yeah, I mean that's that's what it's been for me actually. Leon has basically described what I've been doing for the past week. Um, apart from, oh, I went to see Deadpool 2. That was pretty cool. Um, and we can talk a little bit about how much we hate other people at the cinema in a moment, because that's what we always seem to get onto. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I've just literally, I've been sitting, chilling, windows open, reading books, um, which is kind of what I do anyway, even when it's not good weather. So that's that's like par for the course for me. And um, oh, yeah, I've been reading through some old um, horror comics 
that I, I didn't mention this actually, but when we went to a free comic book day, when I was in London, I went to a sort of secondhand comic shop in, um, in Notting, Hill. Notting Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Secondhand comic shop in Notting Hill. And they, it's a really cool little place. It's like, is it, what was it called? The comic book exchange or something like that? I think so. There's like a comic book exchange and then a clothes yeah. exchange and book exchange, like all part of the same company next to each other. Yeah. So there's like vintage clothing, vintage books and vintage comics all in sort of the same guy must run all three uh, or the same group of people run all three. And uh, the comic shop is really cool. Um, you go in there and it's like these like old bookshelves just like rammed full of secondhand trade paperbacks in really good condition as well because comics people look after stuff. Um, and then there's also all these old like um, sort of like single issues in long boxes for you to peruse and have a look through. And uh, I went in there and I picked up a couple of collections. I picked up a collected edition um, and um, another sort of like, I don't know whether it's a, I can't really call it a collection or an um, like an anthology, but it's got like um, an anthology that's annotated because it's got like a little little bit of like um introduction or blurb before each comic in there and it's it's all been put together by this one guy who is like his thing is pre-code horror comics so that's comics that came horror comics that came out before the comics code but there's some there's some postcode stuff in there as well some stuff that came after the comics code and some stuff that's some more recent stuff as well but his his thing is largely pre-code comic books pre-code horror comics and that's what this book is about and it's about how um it's basically about the industry and how um how horror comics sort of changed over the years and the reasons the comic code were brought in basically like how these horror comics got more and more sort of violent and depraved for the times until they decided it was time to do something about it even though by today's standards they seem fairly kind of tame i guess compared to some of the stuff that we see and read today sometimes some of the stuff that they draw um but yeah they were it's pretty cool to to have a look back at that and there's like some old 1940s 1950s stuff in there and um it's just it's just awesome to read through it and to get that little bit of background with it as well so i'm really enjoying doing that and that's that's been my sort of staple and alongside that there's been the regular comics that i've been reading for this show um so I, just to... want, I wanted to say before you move yeah. on to that, um, that comic book shop you just mentioned in Notting Hill, yeah. like it's it's the comic book shop that your mum warned you about, you know, because yeah. like we talk about going to Gosh, which is like this, you know, this shiny, bright, indie, colourful place. And we talk about um, Orbital, which is, uh, you know, like grunge and underground and like rooted in, you know, the, like all the yeah. fans go there. This is like that grimy, it feels like a grimy, dirty secondhand shop. Um I'm not the hugest fan of it, but I'm glad that you found what you were looking for there. Why did you say it's the one your mum warned you about? When I hear that, I think it's the <laughs> one your mum warned you about, as in, as in, like, you know... Like the guy that your mum doesn't want you to be with. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like the shop that your mum warned you about, you know? Turns up outside your front door with a leather jacket and a motorbike on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a motorbike and a leather jacket. It's a Southside Serpent, that's what that shop is. <laughs> it is, Yeah. <laughs> Holding a boombox over his head, playing the X-Men 90s theme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just wanted to say, I went full-on Greg this weekend. Um, with like, cracking open a beer, having music playing in the background, reading comics on my couch, which I never do. Normally, I need, like, a really sterile, clean area to do it. And I was like, 
on the couch and surrounded by crisps and biscuits and rock music and stuff. It was great. I can see why you do it. I'm going to do it. Oh, hell yeah, exactly. (laughs) Didn't you have guests this weekend? Were they just like, they were there and you're just like wallowing in Cheetos and (laughs) beer? Well, they went out for the good weather. Like uh, the other day I went to Richmond Park with them. We had a really nice day out in the sun enjoying the weather, which was really fraught because we couldn't tell if it was going to be pissing it down, um, which it did overnight. And then it cleared up the next day. And we had made plans for the next day, but we'd anticipated it was going to be crap weather. So we cancelled our tickets to go, you know, to this this day trip we're going to do. And it turned out the weather was great. So we went to a local park instead and spent the day doing that. And then today they've gone off and done the original plan. So while they went out, I've I've been catching up on all these comics. Oh, I, I thought you I thought you were going to tell me that you were wallowing in Cheetos and beer while they were sort of like sat in the same room twiddling their thumbs. <laughs> I mean, you've seen you've seen my living room. I could have been sat on the couch while they're sitting on the kitchen tables. So. True, true. But but no. Yeah. No, yeah. Um. So there's uh, the Deadpool film that I caught, which was um, which was really cool. I'm not gonna say too much about it, other than the fact that it was really cool and really comic booky. Um, I did enjoy it, despite the problems that people seem to have with it and have brought up. Um, particularly, I don't know. Can I talk about that bit without spoiling it too much? I don't think so. So I'm not going to. But there is a a large issue with the film that a lot of people have brought up, and I mean. Yeah, it's an issue, but despite that, I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I, I, the main reason I wanted to talk about this is because this is like porn for you guys, and you want to hear about the cinema experience. So, <laughs> um, there was these two guys in the row in front of me, uh, and one guy was in there with his wife, and there was another guy on his own with his buddy, um, and uh. The guy who was in there with his wife, it was just before the film started because the other two guys kept talking. They were talking in hushed voices, like through the ads and through the trailers, which I don't mind so much. That's fine. But just before the film started, this guy took real issue with it. And he sort of like grabbed the guy by the side of his shirt or something and said, can you shut the fuck up or something like that? Um, And the other guy took real offense to this and he got really threatening and he's like, touch me again and you'll end up with a fist rammed down your throat and all this stuff. And long story short, a fight nearly erupted in the row in front of me and the guy and his wife left and they must've complained because about 15 minutes later, um, one of the, uh, the cinema staff came in and called the other guy out of the screen and must've had a word with him. Um, and then obviously nothing came of it cause he came back in and sat down but yeah, so almost almost had uh, almost had some full on violence in the cinema there. <laughs> Fifteen minutes is a is a is a slow first response time, man. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was going to ask, did it interrupt the start of the movie? A little bit, uh... but not not to the point where it bothered me too much. Like it wasn't it wasn't to, it didn't it, it did interrupt the, the start of the movie a little bit, but it was sort of. Like, it wasn't so loud that it was disrupting the movie too much or whatever. They were quite... And, and when the when the, the, uh, the, the staff came in and pulled the guy out, they were quite um, clever about it in the way they did it, so... Oh, it wasn't, that sounds it wasn't, like a win. It's yeah. like a good story. Yeah, but it is still the fact that two guys nearly got into a fight in a cinema showing because no one knows how to behave in the cinema. But that's just Leicester, right? You wouldn't <laughs> get that in a civilised city like London, would you? Well... <laughs> people take their shoes and socks off in London cinemas, so... Yeah. Apparently, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you want to explain that? Um, so yeah, a friend of ours went to the cinema and um, he's telling us that he was sat next to a couple where they had their shoes off and their feet against the chair in front and one of them was barefoot. Both of them were barefoot, apparently. Or he had his socks on. Yeah. Like, yeah. He had his shoes off and his socks on. Yeah. And then even more egregiously, like which is which is hard to top, like having your shoes off at the cinema and like waving your feet around in front of people. But even more so than that was after the film had started, apparently um, the girl said to the guy, can you go and get us some popcorn? And he protested very slightly and then went off at the start of the movie to go and get some snacks. For right him. at the very start of the film. So he was saying it was like as the film sort of started, as you see that little bit where it's like the kind of like pre-title card where it shows you the certificate of the film and lots of <laughs> like heavy violence and stuff like that. Patrick Swiffer or whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, but, terrible people. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, cinema experiences. Didn't you guys go to the cinema recently? What did we see? So, so Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, which which I I liked. I don't know if I talked about it on the cast, but I liked it fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we saw Solo. I saw Solo. Leon saw Solo. Yeah, um, um, We were the only people to see Solo, apparently. Yeah, it was a really empty screening, considering... Judged by the, the weekend box office as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both of you. You, you, two, you two are the only two tickets that got sold. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, it felt like. Yeah, I, I, I was saying, actually, just before we started recording, that usually when a film like this sort of drops like some sort of star wars tie-in or something like that and with a character as popular as han solo as well because let's face it he's a lot of people's favorite star wars character um i was expecting some kind of like massive outpouring on social media about how good it is um and that i haven't seen a wink i would question whether he's lots of people's favorite character fair enough well, I mean, people. A lot of people have favorite characters in, in in like a lot of people have different favorite characters in Star Wars. But I I know, I know a fair few people who would hands down say they love Han Solo. Yeah, I think that's yeah um, been the general discourse since the A New Hope or Star Wars in seventy seven came out. Yeah, yeah, but nobody was clamoring for his backstory, were they? No, no, no one really cared. That was the point. <laughs> Like, like I it, cared enough to want to go see it. Yeah. But what they delivered isn't the kind of thing I was after and what I wasn't after was fan service, which is which is what I got, I feel. And I feel like it was a missed missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, um which uh, actually just before we move on to anything else, I'll just mention briefly that um you you brought me on to the fact that they're bringing out a Lando comic. Um because uh, in this new in this this new Han Solo film, we've got uh, Donald Glover playing the part of Lando Calrissian, um, and Marvel this week. In fact, Marvel's new sort of um, series, uh, Lando Double or Nothing, starts, which is. Well, I'll read you the blurb from the previous website. Straight from the frames of the highly anticipated film Solo, a Star Wars story, swaggers a younger and somehow even cockier Lando Calrissian. Before his days in the Rebellion, before he ran Cloud City, even before he lost the Millennium Falcon, comes the tale of Lando's adventures and misadventures in search of love and money, leading right up to his appearance in Solo. So it's kind of like pre-Solo Lando. So Lando before... The the, the pre before the pre. So this is like probably Lando's origin story um, in comic form, if you will. Um, 
and the first cover looks really cool actually it's uh just a big sort of like um face shot of lando um kind of like a a, a bust shot type thing because he's got his shoulders and his chest in there as well and then we've got like these uh cool kind of like star wars typical early 80s late 70s special effects type stuff going on in the background and the millennium falcon sort of flying in a straight line in front of him um and uh one of the most striking things about it is the fact that it's donald glover's likeness so this is like the donald glover comic <laughs> hmm. which i thought was pretty cool but yeah yeah, i'm interested in that i mean i think all the new run of star wars comics have used the likeness of the people in the movies as well mm. um but it's cool it's cool to seeing his face on a comic book cover exactly yeah so but the um, thing there's some there's something i wanted to touch on with yeah. this because um I mean, going back to Solo, it was supposed to be like they were talking about it was going to be a a Western set in the Star Wars universe. And that's the, you know, the spark of the idea that got me interested in the movie. And I don't think they fully, like, fully dived into that concept. Like, I was hoping, maybe wrongly hoping or naively, falsely hoping that what they would do with some of these side stories or some of these, you know, non main trilogy Star Wars films is use the setting and use the universe to as you know as a template yeah um, or as a as a blank canvas for other genres or right. like, to to introduce new templates yeah um and i was kind of hoping that solo would be that because uh, what we normally get is you know the conversation that comes around a movie and if you want to hear those if you want to see those other types of stories in the same in the same universe people say oh you have to read the novel or you have to watch the you know the the associated manga or the other you know you go read the comic book and you get to the comic book gets to have the the thing that isn't just the you know the all the balls out action template hollywood you know cookie cutter thing that we normally get and i think that's a shame that comics always seem to be like the secondary medium you know, if you if you want the thing that isn't just the thing you have on screen, you yeah. have to resort to the when, comics to find it. Why shouldn't it be the other way? Why can't you have these things that people look like the nerds in us look forward to finding in the comic because it delivers us something different that we don't yeah. on screen? Why can't they translate that to the to the screen? I mean, I and, guess I, yeah. I know the answer. I know it's about taking too many risks and whatever, but it's just a shame that that's not what we're getting. And I keep hmm. getting my hopes up for that. That's what I was just going to say to you, actually, that they people people are braver in comics with the uh, with the way they the way stories are and things like that compared to how they are on film people take mm. bigger risks and are braver with the well, storylines in comics than they are in the films yeah i mean recently um glover recently said that he wants the if if and when i think they are going to do a lando movie he wants it to be fraser in space which sounds mm. fantastic i hope they yeah. actually deliver on that and if anyone's going to do it it's going to be him like he has the pull these days like he's so popular right now he could he could make it happen so i'm crossing my fingers for that yeah um i mean because even like the other to to bring it back around to comic book movies marvel have been doing this cookie uh, cookie cutter thing for ages you know mm. um every marvel film feels like every other marvel film with few exceptions for example like thor was flirting with shakespearean dramas and ant-man and thor 3 went further down this comedy route which was quite fresh for the you know the marvel action template um but then when are we going to get like um the movie version of tom king's the vision you know like i want to see a marvel movie done by like a coen brothers or you know like a talky drama thriller doesn't doesn't have to rely on all this action and just you know the standard low medium level stakes and then every time an avengers film comes around it's like you know you know universal stakes or whatever like just something grounded and small like i think the closest we got to that was iron man 3 in some ways 
But even that had a bombastic ending, and it, I, I don't know, I feel like that fizzled out, even though it started in a way that I really liked. But, I think so. that stuff is on TV now, that's the thing. Um, and to uh, varying degrees of success, um, they're using the TV format of, like, multiple episodes to explore this, explore yeah. these things. Yeah. Mm. Um, and... In some ways, I'd say it's quite suited to that. So I think Legion, um, the Fox show, uh, works really well um, because they've basically given it to a TV author mm. and, and pretty much let him run wild with the character. Um, and I think that format fits it really well. It doesn't really outstay its welcome and it gets to dive in deep on some particular topics and it builds the characters. Whereas I think when it comes to these, these movies, the, um, like we were saying earlier, the comics where they're, they're taking more risks. Um, and I think it's because the stakes are just lower for their and mm. the, the medium, uh, is accepted, uh, kind of like books as well. The medium is accepted to be very liberal in, um, in its approaches. Whereas, uh, like tentpole blockbuster, um, like filmmaking is so, um, uh, focus, uh, tested and, um, like uh, film made by committee type thing mm. that while it's, it's annoying, it's, um, I can see why the risk is so low, but that, that was a, Really bad pun, accidentally. But um, I can see why the the why they don't take these big swings, mm. and it, it's frustrating because uh, things that do take uh, big swings that are uh, unrelated to sort of say these mediums and that have been received really well. So like take a um, like Mad Max Fury Road or um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you could. There's a comic book adaptation film in those styles that could be done, but mm-hmm. I mean, Blade Runner didn't didn't make that much money, um, and Mad Max, while I believe it did good enough, it it, it didn't like it. It wasn't making a, a billion dollars. It it did get a comic book adaptation type thing though. It got comic book um, comic book. Uh, origins and prequels for each of the main characters but that's what I'm saying that's what we always get I'm saying why can't we have it the other way around and to be fair I do understand all the arguments that Leon's making it's just I still want it yeah (laughs) you know know um, these aren't arguments in support of it (laughs) (laughs) these are the frustrating realities where I think that Mm. I I think with the companies that we're talking about the risk should be minimalized to them because they're making all the money. They dominate mm. the box office. They, uh, they dominate home video. They dominate merchandise. Like if anyone can do it, like, I mean, they've proved time and time again that within the confines of these blockbusters, they can push, push it. Um, as the, um, the examples you gave and things like say with Marvel guardians, et cetera, et cetera. But I believe they they can go further. They just need to stop making every movie doesn't need to be a two hundred 
plus million budget movie that's expected to make a billion. Like mm-hmm. you can make some fifty million uh, dollar movies and do some cool things. Like, so like Disney, like they can do what they want, but they're taking the big swings because it's about maximizing the profit. But it's sad because I would love to see that Mr. Miracle as well. Um, I mean, but at this point, I'd probably prefer it as a TV show because I just think it would get better treatment there. I mean, I got a couple more points to make because I know Greg wants to say something about the state of TV and comics linking together. But like something that just occurred to me while you were talking is um, the closest examples that I can think of just now that have matched this have come from the Fox studio. So like Deadpool was a very low budget um, very different movie, which they didn't, I don't think they even expected it to be as big as it was going to be. Um, but I guess that that sort of is a contradiction to what I'm asking for. And then also Logan, which did try to be something different. It tried to be something deeper and more adult and, you know, transcend just the, the usual bombastic action set piece comic book um, movie as we know it. But it does, it does still kind of get trapped by its action and violence. I just wanted to bring those two up. I don't, don't know if you guys have anything to add. Um, yeah, I nothing to add to your points there. But what I basically from the back of this, as you rightly pointed out, that I wanted to get onto was the fact that mm. for all of this effort, supposed effort that these studios are putting in to try and bring things to a wider audience, doesn't seem to actually be filtering back into the comic world very well. Because although I mean, yeah. we had a conversation about this during the week, I think actually. Um, mm. but yeah, so, so this is, and, and I thought it'd be a good idea to bring it up on the cast about how, um, so for, for all these tickets they sell to the movies and things like that, it doesn't necessarily translate into, um, comic sales. And that's quite a sad thing for the industry. It's like, it's like something that originally started out as a way to try and boost comic sales and to get more people interested has ended up becoming its own monster separate from the comic side of things and comics remain as comics are um and something that was supposed to make comics less intimidating i guess maybe to people that that would want to probably pick up comics but wouldn't necessarily know where to start again yeah like i say it's become its own beast and people aren't interested people that are interested in the films aren't necessarily interested in the comics and the same goes for the tv shows and it's um it's quite sad actually that it's it's ended up that way because I would have liked to have seen film ticket stubs translate into comic sales and to see more people getting into comics and to see well, stuff like that. But but then again, the other point that we got onto earlier in the week is the fact that comics is heavily gatekeepered and hmm. you've got all these uh, you've you've got this these. They call themselves fans, but let's be honest, okay? They're not they're not nice people, and they're holding the gates shut, and you know, with their their sort of like bigoted views and their views about how comics should be and things like that. And it doesn't help. It doesn't help, but make it a hostile environment for people that might want to get into comics. Um people that don't necessarily feel represented by the comics that are on sale at the moment are going to, you know, are being kept out by these people that won't let things change. And these people that would have been brought on board by recent movies and things like that are finding 
that there's nowhere to go and that there are certain people who are fans of comics who d- simply don't want them there and that's bad and I don't like it. I wonder if that's a slightly different argument because um, we're talking about gatekeeping and hostility. Um, I don't know if... Uh, and not to dismiss how shitty that behaviour is because I'm 100% yeah. on the side of not being those people. Like, I don't I don't stand for that myself. Um, but talking about, like, conversion rates of movie tickets to, uh, to comic books, um, I wonder how much onus is on, you know, the promoters of the movies or, you know, the... the like Marvel, for example, to promoting their big cinematic movie and then yeah. only really tying it back into the source material. So we have Infinity War, and I'm assuming, I, I should really have checked this beforehand, but I'm assuming that the sales for Infinity Gauntlet went through the roof, you know, before the movie and after the movie came out. And you get this conversion directly to the old stuff, all the stuff that this was sourced from. But it doesn't, I get the feeling that it's not really translating into sales or into, into, um, you know, creating fans mm. of comics the way that we right. do, the way that we follow it on a month to month, week to week basis. Yeah. And getting getting people into the actual act of being interested in comics as opposed to just reading the novels that they well, were rude from. The the point I was trying to make is that maybe more people would end up interested in in in, in, in comics if there wasn't such hostility under the surface. Mm. And if people yeah, weren't fight if people weren't fighting to keep things archaic as they are in some cases um to to keep things from changing and to keep things from to keep to keep things from being more more inclusive and more representative of the world at large um and it's just it's just horrible because these are these people think they're saving the comics industry they're not they're dragging it into the tar (laughs) i guess is the easiest way for me to put it I mean, I wonder if we have so much focus on that because we yeah. we pay attention to that and we're very sensitive to this stuff right now. Um, but like again, to, I, I wonder how much of a percentage of a factor that is for the you know the public at large. I think there's, if anything, there's a little bit more to do with um, again promoting yeah. comics as its own thing. But then, like more than just the the behavior of the people who are into the industry, but making making comics accessible that's what i was trying to get to um so i think the accessibility of comics right now is actually really difficult if you compare being able to read a comic to something like being able to read a book we have so many outlets for reading books we have um libraries we have um online purchasing we have uh, amazon kindle you know we have all these um analog and digital ways of reading any book you want or any device you want if you want to read a book on your phone while it's not ideal it's actually not that bad because you can repurpose the text to fit your phone. Um, I think if uh, comic books are a much harder medium to get into, you can't. <clears throat> you can go into the library and pick up a, a volume, um, but I guess a library may not have the full expanse of what you're looking for. You definitely can't find floppies easily. You can't be current in comic books on, on an easy way, um, mm. unless you want to go into a shop or purchase them digitally. And if you want to purchase them digitally, you have to have like a good sized tablet you have to have like an ipad style device or i don't know because it's not comfortable reading these kind of things on your computer screen so i think accessibility is a really big thing yeah and i know we have these um like subscription services from marvel and dc but that's just the big two like to get into anything else is i think that's quite hard and i wonder Mm. if there's strides to be made in in that sort of thing like in, in having a netflix for comics or in having a way to 
to read comics easier on the devices we currently have. Because I know we have stuff like Guided View on um, Comixology, but even that's not 100% ideal. And I feel, I feel like there's a lot of other barriers putting people off just because of accessibility to, to the medium. Yeah, I, I can see that. But And then toxic and then fanboys to- don't and then really help either. Fanboys, yeah, because yeah, to sort of add to the points that you guys have brought up, I, I think... It's 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 a tangled web, isn't it? it it's a structural tangled web because, mm. first off, uh, let's say we're dealing with like Marvel, um, like in promotion of these big record-breaking movies, like Infinity War, is probably going to end up the second most successful movie of all time. Like, there should be a concerted effort to push the comics. They've had like what nineteen films to do this now, like instead of just plundering the source and mm. having some token boost of sales for what was out of print before and bringing it back. And it's like, Oh, the tied into the movie. What they should be doing is finding some way to bridge that gap for like first weekends and stuff. There's, I mean, there's so many options of what they can do in terms of like promotions that get people into comic book shops tied in with the movies. Even, um, even giving out vouchers with ticket stubs. Yeah, like yeah, having cool. having like uh, comics um, at at the theaters being given out, like issue ones type thing, like free comic books type thing, like issue ones for a bunch of stories, uh, offering discounts on like Marvel Unlimited and and, and whatever um, with your ticket stub, like just things that f- fire it back. Um, things as well where like in the run up to the movie, like you know, uh, after the trailers and the actual the movie starts on, on some things you have, uh, like say for instance, Disney or Pixar, they will have like one of their shorts play before. Mm. And what you could do before is just have a, a short 90 second ad or whatever, just, um, highlighting the, the work in the comics as something to raise the awareness of it. Like, yeah, or like I, motion comics or something, because, you know, without making it look tacky, I guess, but to have yeah, a motion, yeah. like the first few pages of a motion comic of a newly released issue that t- semi-ties into the film on screen, that would be cool. Yeah, mm. that would be very cool. And I, I think there's so many different opportunities we have with this. I remember in the run-up to um, the uh, Matrix Reloaded, mm. you had the Animatrix, but the Animatrix wasn't just, oh, here's a DVD of the Animatrix. What they did in front of another Warner Brothers movie, they put uh, Final Flight of the Osiris Um, on MTV. They put two or three of the shorts on there. I think Channel 4 or Channel 5 in the UK, um, we had like one or two of the shorts there and they just seeded them. And what it did is that obviously it built hype for the movie, but then it was also like the first time uh, I was seeing like anime on... um, on some of the channels, but like um, at prime time type thing. Um, and I think there's opportunities for crossover like that. And then like we were saying, uh, the next, the next part of that structure is um, like uh, accessibility uh, to these comics, especially um, like digitally, like having an app say that will play on your smart TV that will do like the comicsology zoom in on panels thing. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Like there's this, there's uh, like so many opportunities um, to, 
uh, like increase exposure and like bring the focus back. Like people know the names of the authors of like books. Uh, when a movie comes out, we know that. I mean, this is a bad example because the first one coming to my head, but we know that Gillian Flynn wrote. Um, um, ugh, what's it called? Gone Girl. I mean, that's mm. a bad example because she did yeah. the screenplay for the film as well. But like, we know that we know and that any she did that because, King film. Yeah, like yeah. the name is like is plastered on there. Yeah, but because the IP for all these things are owned by a big company, um, we get a cursory based on the stories by Chris Claremont and blah blah blah. Like, it, there's, there's less of a focus there, but. Mm. The the downside of that is if we did bring back that focus to these creators, um, it could create an interesting feedback loop and we could get, like with their higher profiles, um, there'd be um, more of a sort of respect is a bad word, but um, the, the, the worth or or whatever the, the 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 proposition of comics would be sort of raised like we'd be like it's one of the most powerful companies on the planet in terms of entertainment controls this and they could be using their evil powers for good <laughs> um by setting precedents and uh pushing um things in, in in ways that we've not seen before they control all these platforms it would be interesting to see them dis- disrupt the system that way and i think um there's a lot of options they have to do so and it's just not been a focus for them but there there could very much be a day in like 10 years 15 years or whatever where uh we think of these uh these, these, I mean, these movies are going to be coming out forever until the end of time. Um, they, they may dip in popularity and then soar back in popularity, but they're going to be there for all time. But the actual comics might not be, and we might look at them in how we look at like Sherlock Holmes stories, which were written mm. over a century ago, um, where the source material is like so far removed and like, the fresh stuff, it just doesn't have that plane anymore. And that would be sad because it, I mean, it's the backbone, it's the lifeblood. And I think it's just it's ridiculous to me um, that a company as powerful as someone like a Disney or even someone like a Warner Brothers are just not capitalizing. It's like, mm. are they scared of money? Like, <laughs> like there's there's a big opportunity to push the uh, comics medium uh, back up yeah. to respectability. I mean, we get that every now and again where like a, a graphic novel or something hits like the times list or becomes a New York bestseller and people start speaking about like comics for adults and da, 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 <laughs> and it's like, but it, it's never turned into that, to a wave. That turns my stomach slightly when they say comics for adults as if, as if, you know, it, it, this is, this is the public perception that we need to change. The fact that people still kind of see it as a children's hobby. Yeah. The, the worth of stories based on just how they look yeah, like yeah. on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, one thing I wanted to add to from what you said, Leon, is um, talking about creators. Isn't it? Isn't it crazy? Like, isn't it wild how everybody knows the name Stan Lee, but what stories has he written that are relevant to like to now? You know, and how that ties into making better use of 
like modern day techniques using like better use of technology to the strengths of the medium. Like you mentioned, if you could connect your comicsology to your TV and there was something, something new and modern and playing to the strengths of like current tech. I, I think they need to capitalize on that. Like I said, and it's, it's it's stupid to me that that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. And people go looking for Stanley in every Marvel film, but Stanley, to what end, right? Yeah. yeah, Stanley didn't create all of those characters. He, he's sort of almost subconsciously people are almost subconsciously giving him credit for things that he didn't do absolutely yeah yeah Which well he's is... become sort of the elder statesman figurehead yeah for, mm-hmm. uh, for, for comics culture but i mean there's a lot of issues with that that we can <laughs> we can we can delve into on another time that's, but that's it, yeah that's a whole yeah, podcast it, in itself <laughs> yeah but it is indicative of how small we've made comics yeah um and like back to finish off that tangled web and like the structure you think about it so we don't have these systems so marvel are not they're the example so like marvel are not doing that thing two they don't have the system in place three somebody's jumped over all these hoops um and is engaged with this geeky nerdy hobby gone to their comic book shop like a dirty filthy geek nerd whatever (laughs) picked up their comics great they love it and then their 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 opinions are just invalidated straight away and that's the that's the gatekeeping element so yeah it's one of those things where it's the the content creators all the way down to like the audience like we there's just so many barriers in place that uh, are not working well um to uh, endure this uh, and um enliven and extend this um this medium and it, it it's frustrating uh, and sad because there's that there's no reason it, it would be like that i mean say for instance on the community end you're always going to have like these douchebags or whatever but i mean we can drown them out like uh, at the end of the day they'll end up being more new readers end up uh, being people who weren't reading comics 20 years ago, getting into, into, into the medium and they could drown them out. I mean, I mean, it's, it's evident in, in going back to the movies, like these things were based on this source material, but they are the main driver now of this, this, of this thing. They're the most uh, popular most well-known and most uh, financially successful extensions of these core ideas. Uh, and like these movies are not made for nerds. Like they're made, they're the four quadrant, like they're made for everyone. Um, uh, and that's how they make so much money. So these people are already outnumbered. So I think that that's an area where there's a better chance of success for drowning out. Mm. those attitudes and i mean you're getting so many different creators and like creator own comics who are just doing their own thing anyway which is different from the templates from before and i think that will continue to grow but the industry itself uh needs its most um powerful uh players to do their part i mean they they've they've milked it and, and done well from it but they need to like do their part and and mm feed this stuff back they do what they need to do is put more comic book characters in Fortnite. that'll solve the problem (laughs) don't please don't 
Um, <laughs> that, I guess, brings me on to the first thing on my list of comics to re- I've read. So into the comics we go. Which, this this comes off the whole TV thing because um, we have um, a comic book here called Legion, which we have reviewed previously on this show and talked about. Um, and this is like a five-part run dealing with the character Legion or David Harler, as he's also known, um, the popular TV, well, obviously you, you may know from the popular TV series that Leon has mentioned, but as, uh, is, is also an established X-Men character and is the son of Charles Xavier. Now, um, it was a five part run and we've reached part five. So we're now at the end. Um, and I, I like, I like this. I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's a great conclusion to what I saw as an interesting modern view and modern take on mental illness. Cause as I mentioned on the previous cast, when we talked about Legion, comics aren't always good at that. And media hasn't always been good at displaying mental illness in, in, in a, in a sensitive way or in a way that it doesn't, you know, the, I guess the, the stereotype in, in media is when, when you see someone who's mentally, it's like, Oh, check him out. He's crazy. You know, he's going to, he's, isn't, he's this like, how do I explain it? It's like an easy yeah. crutch. In yeah. Like an, an easy yeah. development. Yeah, exactly. And it's always really, ha- it's always handled really badly and it's never, it's never addressed or, or explored that well. Um, so this is this does a, this does a good job of of seeing things through a better lens, I guess. And it's it does it does good work in the way that it brings men, the mental illness that, that David suffers to the forefront, and also in the way that it explains that and gets that across to the reader in the way that it translates it into comic form. I think it does that quite well. Um. So, the way that it actually does this is, without going into the story too much, because I want you guys to read it when it's collected. I want people who listen to this to read this, because I like this story. Um, David's head is, is... The inside of David's head is a world. And the citizens of that world are his alters, or his alternate personalities. Um, and when it's viewed through that lens, it, it makes kind of makes it a little bit easier to understand and it kind of makes it a little um a little clearer and and it also helps to translate it into comic form because it it gives it a form and a platform it gives it gives a a uh, a body to something that's notoriously ethereal if you understand what i'm getting at um and it just makes it digestible and less confusing to display it that way. But it's also a really interesting way to do it and an interesting way to kind of raise awareness of mental illness and explain it to people that may not have ever experienced it or that may have only have experienced, as I say, these, these, the way media has done mental illness previously. Um, and the, like these citizens each kind of have their own sort of, place like some of them have their own place in his head and they reside within a mood or or like a um 
feeling or something within his head is is where this altar lives and this altar is born of that feeling or that mood or or that particular event or that particular um pain or whatever else however else you want to explain it and it's quite cool how it does that um and so we've got basically a psychologist wandering around inside david's head attempting to um remedy him of what they refer to as lord trauma who is the sort of this this powerful dominant alter who wants to kind of have full control of david for himself and he's um he's just hell-bent on causing pain and trauma basically which is in the name and he is born of david's trauma um this is quite inventive on how it's tackled and things are portrayed within legion's head the way they do that is quite inventive as well as in so so not just what i've always already talked about with the world and everything else but the way that this world is put together and portrayed and the way we see different type different creatures that live in there and and different um the different flora and fauna basically and what that's made up of and how that works um and yeah i as I've talked about previously, I love the minimalist art style and the fact that it's never overcrowded or cluttered. Like there's, it's just just enough detail to get across what it needs to get across, and there's never too much in one panel, to the point where it's it's difficult to see what's going on. Which with a story like this and with telling a tale like this, you can't overclutter it. You have to be, um, I guess you have to be minimalist, otherwise you confuse people, because it's quite a confusing thing from the outset in the way that it's done. Uh, and the way these uh, these alternate personalities manifest themselves in the physical world as well, when we get to see that, because David's not just mentally ill, he's a mentally ill, super powerful mutant that has kind of reality-altering abilities. And his his other personalities are able to use those abilities and take advantage of that. And it's some of the character designs in it as well and, and the creature designs are great and it's just a complete delight to read um I, i've just loved it start to finish and it's five issues long so it's not it's not mega long and uh it's an accessible story and accessible commentary on mental illness that i urge you all to read because i i i think it i think it's great and i think what it does is cool and I think I think a lot of people sh- I think a lot more people should read it, and it will be collected soon. So that's one for your bookshelf, and uh, that is Legion, uh, the 2018 run, and that is by we have a re- writer Peter Milligan, art by Wilfredo Torres, and the cover of um, well the cover of number five is by Javier Rodriguez, and uh, on the cover of number five we've got uh, Doctor Hannah Jones, the psychologist in the story, kneeling over the this kind of broken almost like a, a clay doll thrown at the floor of david harler um and it's, it's a pretty cool cover i quite like it and uh yeah it's a really cool book so i recommend that one and uh yeah five parts you can't argue with that so that's legion and yeah uh, i'm definitely gonna uh look to pick that up when it's collected yeah. sounds really good yeah it's great um ray did you have something to move on to from there yeah following on from that so i read a book today uh called the now of brown it's something i've had on my shelf for a very long time um 
friend of mine, friend of the show, uh, Y Snail on Twitter, bought me this for my birthday quite a few years ago, saying that she loved it and she thought I should read it, and I've done her a disservice by not getting to it until now. Um, but she has impeccable taste. I, I love this book. It's called, it's like I said, it's The Now of Brown. That's the N-A-O of Brown uh, by Glyn Dillon. He's the author and illustrator of this book, um, this big tome, lovely hardback. Um, and it's about a woman called Now Brown, and she's a half Japanese, half English illustrator who suffers from OCD, um, but not OCD in the, the Hollywood way that we know it. She suffers from uh, violent, morbid obsessions. And it's about this this woman trying to deal with these intrusive thoughts and how she goes about her daily life and trying to find love and you know just trying to trying to survive with this um, this affliction that she has. Um, so it's it's a book about anxiety and OCD in the form of these violent intrusive thoughts. It's a book about believing the worst in yourself, either through compulsion or habit or just you know the false comfort of constantly beating yourself down um and it's about how there's more to you than just the mind that you experience the world through um so it's all set through from her perspective and it starts off with her visiting um a buddhist temple so a lot of these scenes are set in this buddhist temple that she goes to and where she attempts to meditate to as a form of um trying to bypass these thoughts and to keep it in check because she's constantly afraid of her own as as of unyet or as far as we can see not manifested physically uh, intrusive thoughts so she hasn't as far as we know hasn't actually harmed anyone hasn't actually harmed herself but she comes very close to it at all the times and she she has these deep senses of disgust in herself so she's trying to find ways to to work her way through it and I don't know. It's just it's it's super interesting. It's really it's really heartfelt, um, and it's it's a lot about there's there's so many themes going on. As you know, it's about mindfulness and allowing yourself to be free from your own thoughts, and it's about cycles. Like the front cover is her, um, like her body, but her head is a washing machine, which um, is important to the book because she in trying to find love she encounters this washing machine repairman who you know she uh, forms an attachment with and um has a bit of a crush on and then you know makes takes certain actions to try and get to know him better so we see her like in we see cycles in loads of forms in this in this book so there's you know the her cycles of her behavior the fact that she's constantly riding her bicycle we see her um you know the washing machine cycles that are constantly brought up we see her painting circles to meditate upon which is part of the uh, thing that she's taught at this buddhist temple and we see these cycles of birth death and rebirth and it's just there's so much going on like i almost feel like i can't i can't really talk about it because you need to experience it for yourself. Um, in some ways, I think it's it's almost like it's one of the things that I touched on was it's a subversion of the manic pixie dream girl archetype because she's this um, you know, this gorgeous creative um, person who works in a like a vinyl toy store. Um, so she has all these qualities that tend to appeal to a particular type of type of guy and she has these kinds of friends but she's oblivious to you know their feelings towards her because she's stuck in her own head all the time 
Um, and also she's not the person that they want her to be or that they think she is. And it's a lot about how you can have very different opinions of both yourself and other people that can be somewhat rooted in reality, but also very deeply rooted in your own perspective on, you know, your own issues on what you're projecting onto other people. And this comic gets that across really well. Um, you know, it's not about, it's not about, about not being the person other people see you as while also not being who you convince yourself that you are. And also about not taking seriously or not being able to register the pain of others because you're so focused on your own pain, which is, you know, sometimes that's just how it is. And that's a good thing. You need to learn to work through your own issues before you can help anybody else. Um, so, yeah, it's a book about meditation and focus. Um, and I, I like that it's a book about these themes, about meditation, because the artwork provides you with these really beautifully detailed panels to focus on. Um, so we have the main story of now, you know, working her way through through London. Actually, I didn't mention it's, you know, she lives in London um, and it starts off with her on her return journey back from Japan because she's half Japanese, half English. Um, and everything in her perspective is painted in like watercolors and pencils in this really expressive, really like very delicate uh, way which really gets her vulnerability across. And then it's intercut with these stories, um, in-universe stories that she's a fan of called Ichi, which is an in-universe manga, which has a very different art style to the main story. It has a very fantasy-esque woodprint style, full page scenes, which are really like exquisitely detailed and have this very, um, I don't know what to relate it to, but like um, organic uh, forest or ivy style borders along the edge which you can kind of find yourself getting lost in if you want to pour over every detail, which is why I think it, it it merges the theme of meditation and actually giving you something to meditate on really well at the same time. Um, it's, uh, it's quite a big book. It looks really daunting at first. It's about 200 pages, but like with most comics, 200 pages as it looks in front of you isn't doesn't take as long to get through as it would a, a novel. So I wouldn't let that put you off. I'd really, really recommend this. I think you guys would like it. And I think it's an interesting counterpart to something like Legion, which is um, presenting it, which is, uh, it's very comic booky in its own way. It has very comic book uh, sensibilities, but it's trying really hard to be progressive and modern in the way that it depicts these, you know, mental health issues. I think these two things would go together quite nicely. Mm. So that that's the Now of Brown, and that's by Glyn Dillon. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna have to pick that up. <laughs> Definitely, that sounds really good. I feel like I haven't done it justice. I think if you yeah. if you check out if you just Google some of the pages and see what the artwork is like, and it's just it'll draw you in straight away. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, and it has a very striking look on the on the book itself because it's a a white cover, and then it has um, red pages. You know, if you look at the the spine or the opposite side of the spine and the edges of the pages are painted in red yeah it's really interesting yeah. yeah um i mean yeah i mean anything anything like that kind of sort of like speaks to me a little bit anyway anything that sort of brings mental illness to light like that so yeah mm. i'll have to check that out um leon you've been having a bit of an issue lately haven't you something that you wanted to bring up Something of a dilemma. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I would frame it that way, a dilemma. So say for the last like, 18 months or so, while we've been doing the show, 
in an effort to be part of the zeitgeist and stay up to date and uh, like current and relevant uh as you guys have been as well um they have been picking up a lot of like number ones uh reading the number ones speaking about them on the podcast uh picking up the number twos um um following through maybe on, on the the next episode of the podcast then well i noticed that i started to get into the cycle that um i just kept adding to the to the to do stack the sort of virtual invisible stack that um follows these ones and twos and in some cases freeze where i'm starting all these series um but uh, not having the opportunity to go back and see them through and in terms of like pulling back the curtain a bit and how it relates to on the podcast it's tough to talk about like say issue five and an eight issue run or something because i don't want to i can't get deep enough in terms of spoilers um and like to talk about it critically at that point it's going to rely on me delving into some story issues so like what i i tend to do what i've been tending to do um, on the cast is for things that had shorter runs like say five issues or so uh, when i completed the run as as uh, as uh, greg's done on many occasions and as as rahul's done going back and reevaluating after you read the uh, the final issue um but uh just the number of issue ones uh, issue twos i've been picking up um i felt it was time to like reshift my like focus and pull back from taking on too many number ones until i clear the virtual stack a bit and with that i uh, created a list of a lot of the the books that i enjoyed that i've started but not gone back and completed and uh in that effort i've been picking up some books that i even started before we started to do in the podcast that i've just never got around to the end um and one of those um, which is a book or a series that i have spoken about on the cast before is um uh Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson's The Boys. Hmm. Uh, and this is, this one has been a tricky one to me because when I originally started it, I got up to like an issue in the twenties, I think. And then I left it for a couple of years. And then on returning, I was like, uh, let me just start from the beginning. And then the last time I was reading it, I got up to like issue 50. and there's 72 issues but now I've left it again for like a year or so or, or or a year and a half and now I'm in that dilemma where I'm not starting it again <laughs> um and the way these are written they're coming out month by month so it ran between uh 2006 and 2012 so you were getting it monthly and obviously they would probably miss a couple months here and there but still by that token it's really frustrating and 
I was like looking for like good um, like write ups covering the trades or the arcs. And I couldn't really find anything. The the best I could find that there isn't even a good wiki for that because a lot of, a lot of like long running comics, are, like say for like a Batman or something, you could go to like one of the many Batman wikis. You'll have a detailed breakdown of each run, um, or e- e- to some degrees each issue, which is great. But like that is not uh, standard for all these things. Um, and like the, the best I could do was like the Wikipedia uh, like, entries for the arcs. And while it did get me sort of up to date and it reminded me of some stuff, there's so much like in, like important details which are kind of skirted over. And then so I got the dilemma now of like I'm not I'm not restarting it, but <laughs> uh, like jumping in now is going to be uh, like such a a hazy thing that um I, like i don't know if i'm if i'm going to lose stuff from just not remembering uh, like certain details to do yeah. with what like big reveals and and even just smaller character moments i mean i mean i think what i've decided to do is carry on from where i am so i did mm. start the trade so i got up to uh, there's an arc uh, from issue 48 to 51 called proper preparation and planning. And I think I got to 50. So I restarted that one and I, I'm going to just read it to the end and see how it feels. But I do feel like I'm missing out because I can't remember like little details that happened during like the hero gasm arc or during like uh, some of the earlier, earlier ones. And it's so frustrating. I mean, um, have you guys ever been in a position like this? Like you guys follow, uh, things like Saga currently at the moment, um, which I'm going to get uh, onto in a sec. But like, do you ever like when there's been massive breaks um, between them? It, because you've been reading them monthly, is that enough? Or are there any ones where you, like you've left it for like a year or six months and you're like, oh man, like what, 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 what the hell was happening again? Well, I, I, ha- I oh, sorry, carry on, Ray. Okay, um, I, I was going to say I had that with Naruto where I read it for like 120 issues. And then I didn't read it for almost like five or six years or something. And then I wanted to catch up. Um, <laughs> so I I found, a, I actually did successfully find a good write-up of like everything up to the Shippuden arc. And then I just read through those and then picked up the manga again. So that was, I think that worked out quite well. And then also with Saga, there was a point where I hadn't read it for a, like a good year maybe because I just wasn't buying comics at that point. And then I just started the entire thing again. I just read all... 20 30 issues which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things but i yeah i did just start from the from the top um there's certain things where i mean saga i read it as the trade comes out so i'm always six months behind but i do that on purpose um there's i guess the 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 best example i can come up with for something where i've been in that kind of position i'm kind of on a treadmill at the moment with berserk the manga because I started reading it and I never really got up to date to begin with. But then like more stuff keeps getting published in front of me and I've left it for about, I've not read any Berserk for about four years. And I know that the guy keeps going through huge, he goes through huge hiatuses and things all the time, doesn't he? The publisher for Berserk, the guy who makes it, hmm. the writer, artist. Um, But I, 
because I'm so far behind. I'm so I'm so far behind anyway that new stuff keeps getting put in front of me, and it's like being on a treadmill. That every time I get two chapters up, there's another two chapters in front anyway. So I'm no further along than I was to begin with, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, hmm. And I'm just looking back at my shelf and my uh, my long boxes. Um, while I'm sat here talking to you guys, trying to think if there's anything else where, I mean, usually when I, I have like this, this to read stack. So there's always a stack of comics that haven't been bagged and bored and haven't been read yet. And occasionally I'll get two or three of something and let it build up a little bit before I read it. And I'll read two or three in one go. Um, if it's a new number one, I try and read it straight away. They always take priority because those are the things I like to talk about on the cast. Um, but anything else, so again, I'm pulling back the veil here at the moment on the way that I do things and the way that I structure my reading time in order to provide content for this podcast. But I, um, so any number ones will take priority, anything else. So like I've just done with Legion, for example, I've caught up on three issues because I let that build up a little bit before coming to you guys and telling you now on this show because it finished so i let that build up to the i let that build up and then I, I finished reading it and i've probably got a couple of issues of um something else in my to read pile somewhere that i've not kept up with but it's, it's usually like two or three issues so that's two months or thereabouts that i kind of let build up in the back and then i've got a, i've got a few issues of spider-man built up actually that i've not read but i just i kind of let them back up slightly sometimes and because other things take priority and because I only get so much time, I have to read the things that I want to talk about and the things that I, because I, I'll also, I'm also like the kid that wants to eat his sweets before he eats everything else. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like I always like the things that I'm always super excited about. I will read straight away. Hmm. And that takes reading time off other stuff that I'm currently reading and keeping up with. So like something new and shiny, or something Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles goes straight to the top of the pile. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that works with me. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have that with video games, where I pick up the shiny new thing each time. And a video game example, actually, which ties into this, was The Witcher 3, where I played a good 20 hours of it. Um, and then, again, dropped off because I found something new and shiny to play, and then I came back to it maybe a year later. Mm. And I had no idea what was going on, and I made an attempt to find like a good write-up um, which wasn't going very well, so I tried to watch a few Let's Plays, which didn't really help, and then I asked a friend, uh, a colleague at work, who's really into The Witcher, and she, I told her what I, what was the last thing I got up to, and then she wrote me a Cliff Note edition using, um, like, using an existing wiki for the story. She pared it down so that it would cut out any spoilers I may or may not have already heard of, oh, and even man. that didn't really help. So in the end, I thought, just fuck it, and I carried on playing, and she... then I played for another ten hours, and then gave yeah. up because I couldn't be bothered. Like, she... yeah, that was just one of those where it was a big fail in the end. Do you know what I love? I love meeting people that are really passionate about stuff that they can do things like that. Oh bless her! She tried. Like, are you talking about my colleague or, or about me? about like just people in general that are super passionate about something that. They they can they they have it in them to provide the Cliff Notes version of something like that. You know, that's, that's I, I have yeah I have all the love in the world for Zoe for doing that for me. Hi there, Zoe. Yeah, um, shout out to you. But 
Like, I don't know why you bothered, because you know what I'm like. And you knew it You knew it wasn't going to work out, but bless you for trying. So. You did it, I'll leave it and there. I was happy you yeah. did it, but it was fruitless. Yes, 100%. <laughs> but no, I... I, I just a separate point just like yeah any anybody that that is that much of a fan of something that they can they can create a resource like that like um people i know that have written their own guides for video games for themselves like they have they have like ring bound uh there's a guy i used to know at school who had a ring bound folder um for final fantasy 7 that he had written himself by hand and it had (laughs) diagrams in it and he had like all sorts of stuff about chocobos and things like that and like flavor text and all sorts he i can he, respect that That's yeah cool. like yeah. Any, anyone that can produce that kind of resource by themselves off their own back out of they're doing it out of interest like for fun mm-hmm. you know i respect that that level and i like it and one i mean i maybe can with stuff already i've never challenged myself but one day I hope to be able to 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 be able to provide other people with that kind of knowledge and impart it on them. <laughs> so well, some yeah. people scrapbook, some people write video game guides, some people make podcasts. So, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there are there are a few things that I hope I'm like that with, but I'd like mm. to be like that with, but I don't. Really, <laughs> I've never tested myself. Um. So, Ray, it, it, you had something that you wanted to bring up that had been shown to you by somebody. Actually, so it was the same colleague I just mentioned, Zoe. Yeah. Uh, she brought me on to a comic called The Matador, which is by, if you give me one moment, um, Julia Lepetit. And she knows this artist um, through a, a show called Drawfee Show. I have no idea what it is. I've never heard of it until Zoe told me about it. Apparently it's something to do with like people submit ideas for drawings and then they have to scribble down, like make these really quick versions of these drawings to try and express it. I think it's kind of like um what is it? What's the the game I'm thinking of where the picture game where you as it's a party game where you have like, you know, pen and pencil and you have to draw Pictionary. whatever. Pictionary, yes. I think it's kind of like that but online. Anyway, um so I found a tweet which uh where she talks about this comic that she she basically set herself some limits to make um, a comic that followed a couple of themes. So she says, trying to brainstorm ideas for my next 10-page comic. For The Matador, I set a bunch of challenges to force me to work on things I'm weak on. 10 pages, limited colour, no active dialogue, quote-unquote, uh, relatably dark themes. So this book, which um, I think was uh, Pay What You Want, so technically you can get it for free, but I, I think I threw in $5 um, for these 10 pages. Um and it's basically everything I just described. So, you know, it's non-active dialogue and it's all in uh, light blue, dark blue and white. And it depicts a woman um, going to a flower shop while possibly reminiscing or possibly um, showing a future dialogue. So some sort of dialogue between her and a, a friend or acquaintance about visiting a bar that the friend wants to go to, um, the, the speaker or a I assume the woman who we're seeing go to the flower shop uh, doesn't want to go, but in the end they decide to go. And it's this whole thing about having, holding on to anger, but not being able to express it. And as far as I can discern for myself, because it's, it's very, or it's quite cryptic and it's definitely not very explicit what's happening, mm. but I assume it has something to do with um, 
having gone out and having encountered some um i'm losing the words today some tragedy uh with some guy that she encountered at the bar who maybe abused her or um or some other such act and i it's it's interesting because it's such a like a holistic comic where i don't i think it's deliberately not giving up exactly what it is is it's very nebulous um so we see these like these these scenes of her going into the co- into this uh, flower shop holding onto a bouquet and then suddenly grasping onto the bouquet like uh, you know like she's suddenly in tension when she's expressing no i don't want to go to this bar to her friend um and and it suddenly flashes in red while while that's happening and so for ages i was like it's only 10 pages there can't be much to to pick apart on this and i was thinking is it one thing is it that she's um reminiscing about something that happened to her friend and she wishes that she hadn't convinced her you know she wishes that her friend hadn't convinced her to go with her or is it something that happened to her and she's Mm. you know now about to do something um because the the way the comic ends is we see her taking some flowers out of the flower shop going to the bar that was mentioned which is called the matador and in her bag we see gasoline and um and then it flashes the final panel i think is a flash of uh, a menacing guy with a you know a red grin on his face as the um as water streaks down a window pane through the through the bar saying yeah. don't go there alone and so i was wondering like is it that she's about to do something violent and dangerous uh, you know uh, to this guy or maybe to the bar in general and i realized i was spending so long trying to solve the puzzle of the comic and when i realized i was doing that i kind of sat back and just let it wash over me and realized that it's about all of these things it could be about any of these things it could be about just trying to express how difficult it is to have this anger have this pain and not know how to express it or not even be able to express you know it could it could be so much of this yeah um and i really admire it for being able to make me go through that process to go through that journey um so i'd recommend that i mean if you wanted to you could get it for free um i'll provide the link in the show notes it's uh the matador by julia lepetite Mm. and yeah it's really good um I, but the, I the thing looked, oh sorry sorry no go ahead go ahead. i say i looked at this too because you you mm. brought it to my attention and um yeah i get i get the feeling that it's uh the way it's framed is that it is memories of something that happened and it's um it's bad memories of something awful that happened due to a visit to the matador and i think maybe the burning of the place at the end or whatever she does at the end um is her way of trying to come to terms with that or her way of trying to um release that or exact revenge or something like that and i love the way this flashes from red to blue like hot and cold hmm. so like the the burning awful memories are framed in red and one of them almost looks like it's viewed through a monster's eye. Hmm. Which, yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty cool how that works. And yeah, like you were saying, it's, you almost, as you said, you don't see, for trying to work it out, you forget that it's a piece of art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's clearly about some sort of process, whether it's either harmful or a healing process. Yeah, but just even being able to express that much and having it be unclear, but still being able to express that in ten pages. 
yeah, it's there's something there's something to it, and I really yeah. like it, and I, I I really want people to look at it. But it got me thinking about how we try so hard to solve the puzzle, and this is something we've talked about off the podcast. We've you know we've chatted about, chatted about it in our WhatsApp group, um, and it's a topic that's come up recently a few times in like different tweet streams. I forget who it was, but there was somebody talking about. Um, there's nothing worse than articles which claim we've solved the puzzle. Here's everything you need to know about what this particular piece of art is is expressing, what it is expressing, not what it could be or what it, you know, what it might be trying to say. But here's everything we found. Like, and I think the most recent one was This is America and it's picking yeah. out all the different bits and bobs. Um, I was going to say this whole conversation seems to be prompted, seems to have been prompted by the This is America music video. Hmm. I just wonder what the compulsion is, because I think I did i went through this whole journey myself with this comic where i fell into trying to figure out what it meant before pulling back and trying to understand what it was trying to express i think i think it's a compulsion to understand the art in front of you because people people want when when you see something you want to understand it you don't necessarily want to see the cogs and everything operating behind it but you want to understand what you're looking at it's this 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 need to understand and i think this could be partly due to um, the way we're educated at school. Because I don't know about you, but um, I was given an anthology of poems to study at one point yeah. in my school life. And we were encouraged to break them down in this way. And to, to take this, this piece of art, this whole, and section it up. And, and we were encouraged to write about it in such a way... Um, for an exam where you know we were encouraged to write things like he uses this word because this word is harsher <laughs> than this word and this word's you know denotes this kind of feeling and you can hear such and such happening through these the, through the syllables in lines x y and z or whatever you know and I, I don't know if that's got anything to do with it the way that we're taught at school and the way that we're encouraged to break art down like that because even when I was doing art lessons at school as well when I was when I was like uh, traditional art where you know we were painting and things like that and we were encouraged to look at other pieces of art and paint in the style of other artists and that kind of thing or to attempt it anyway um and we were encouraged to break down other pieces of art. We were we were asked how it makes us feel and why we believe they use this particular colour on this particular plate in this particular way and why technique X has been used to illustrate figure Y in the background of scene <laughs> Z or whatever. You know, it's it's to break it down in that kind of way is almost what we're encouraged to do. Well, I think I mean I think all of that is useful. Yeah, and I do. I, I think I agree with you that it's it's the the root of an issue because I feel like it is a good thing to be able to deconstruct or to interrogate art like beyond oh, yeah. just the mood and the aesthetic. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, you don't always have to look for tangible or concrete meaning in things, but it's interesting to be able to find it. But I think the Internet generation or like the Internet at large has exacerbated that. I think for all of the things that... It gamified it yeah for sure because all of those things all of these techniques and tools that we learned at school and that's what they are you know we're supposed to learn them as a tool set not the way to read things this is not how you're supposed to it's because a the way end, that you can yeah at the end of the day when you've deconstructed it you're still supposed to be able to view it as a whole but mm. what's happening is now people are taking things apart to the point where it's just cogs and springs and all you will see is cogs and springs and you're not enjoying the whole 
the whole anymore. You're just seeing the cogs and springs. I mean, there's some merit to it, but then I think there's a lot of arrogance that mm. comes along with it, especially with like, oh, you didn't understand this here. Let me teach you what it actually meant. You know, yeah, there's like, like, like online. there's a right and a wrong way to interpret something. Yeah, or even yeah. just like allowing yourself the time to get there yourself. Because mm. I think I'm very guilty of this, but like jumping straight onto TV tropes to see everything that other people have picked apart, and like, you know, the 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 uh, the group think. Hmm. Um, like mass mentality of picking out and finding all the, the things yeah. which which again can be really fun but again sometimes it, sometimes it does harm you when on a personal level you don't take enough time to yeah. to let something gestate again ripping back the curtains on this podcast when i look at comics and when i prepare to talk about comics um i mean i i, I try to get it across this way anyway but i will i will talk about various the various ways things are shown and, and various artistic techniques in comics and things like that when I talk about a certain comic. But what I always try to do is pull it back and to tell you how that works as a whole rather than just deconstructing it and leaving it deconstructed. And I, you know, I would never once want to think that I have told you that there is a right and a wrong way to interpret something. Yeah, and I think that's the root of... Um... Of this argument, isn't it? Because, yeah. as Ralph was saying, uh, deconstructing um, and like critical analysis is so useful, and it's fundamentally a way for us to uh, understand art um, f- uh, deeper than a surface level. Yeah, and I think what uh as you guys have said the the thing that has sort of messed it up in, in recent times um is this um false prescribing of definitive answers um where you'll have like top 10 things you missed or what x means and it's like mm-hmm. and what y- yeah yeah, like the, the thing that's great with like deconstruction and all this is what different uh, viewers or readers or whatever bring to that particular thing because we're, we're all uh, we've all uh, like had different experiences in life and uh, different interactions with other pieces of art, um, and there's certain things that an experience I will have never had that you guys might have had that will change the way you read a particular visual or like a line in, in, in a book or something. And on the flip side, um, there is uh, like things that I will pick up from my different interactions with other things that you guys will never have seen from that point of view and like that puts like that is like a special source in it and it in it i think that in this internet age where people want to solve everything mm. um like it, it, it's treating it like a game where it's like oh i beat that game i clocked it i completed it and it's just like who can get all the secrets? Who can find all the Easter eggs? And then once we're done with that, we've solved this piece of art. We can toss it to the side now. We've dealt with that. Move on to the next one. And that's not what this stuff is about. It, 
by interrogating it and linking it to other things and finding meaning in in different things that's meant to like prolong the life of, of these pieces of art uh, like you can't complete it and even stuff like this uh, this over um uh, obsession with canonization and like what is the one true way this can be read oh this is what the author said this is what the director said and it's like yeah that, that's valid but there's always going to be unintended meaning in these things mm. and by like killing it at the end uh in that way and being like okay we've, we're done let's move on it does a disservice to not only the art but but like it impacts how we as a culture learn to uh like read and decipher um art and that's why you can get like these hot takes that come out and i'm like well like what like we 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 as a culture discussed this five years ago mm-hmm. why are you like cooking up this like lukewarm take on this thing like it's and it's because we don't really have a good yeah uh relationship with our history anymore because it's all about now and tomorrow um and it, it's it, it, it's quite sad because like these things let's say going back to the this is america video they're meant to encourage discussion and um we're meant to like sort of argue the merits of what different things and what they could mean and but to have things going like okay this is this is it we've deciphered it is just so reductive like uh, like it's uh, a riddle there to be deciphered and there's yeah. only one correct answer yeah yeah and it's like i think that it leads to a lot of disappointment in, in yeah in in things as well where people if 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 something doesn't line up the way that people have built it in their head um then they disregard it it's like oh the ending of this was rubbish because it wasn't wasn't what it wasn't what i built it up in my head to be and Mm. i think there's too too much of a conservative thinking around um like art meaning intertextuality um and just just the very basics of like semiotics I, i i think because we're very much a now and the next thing culture because life is like bam 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 fast like i i personally i I think i've brought up on the cast before like usually if i watch a movie or something like that i do have the impulse to like uh listen to the spoiler specials of my favorite podcasts and do some reading online but in the last couple of years i've i've made a big like effort to like just leave it for a while because often I need like a, at least a day, but sometimes like a few days to let let it percolate in my mind a bit. Um, and it, it's been useful for me because now I know what my own conclusions are mm. before I start listening to other people's. Where before yeah. on the train home, I would I would have that that spoiler podcast on, or I'd be looking on the websites yeah. for other people's opinions. And then years later, I'd be like, "What was my actual opinion on this?" And I've just become <laughs> yeah. part of the group think. This is why sometimes I don't read like um, letters pages or other people's reviews of comics before I've put my own thoughts together. Yeah, because yeah, I, I started writing down what I think about something before I start listening to the podcast because I know yeah. that my memory is hazy and I'll I may end up adopting somebody else's opinion as my own, which I I don't think is inherently bad because no. you can you know you can exchange ideas and you can pick up and learn from other people. But, but it's I want to know what yeah. So yeah, I, I want to know what my baseline yeah. was before adopting yeah. all of those things. And, like, sometimes it's nice to know that, oh, this person that I really respected yeah. or this person that I do really respect made a point that I also thought of. And, like, it, you know, it can 
it just feels nice sometimes mm. from that perspective. Don't like... yeah, giving stuff time is always nice. I think yeah, it's just not good to mute your own opinion in favor of someone else's when you read somebody else's opinion. It kind of stifles your own. And it's not good. I do um, like works that kind of push you away from that though. Like for yeah. example, very recently Twin Peaks. Yeah, it sort of it it gives you a reason to not do that it actively stops you from trying to penetrate it into it too much because it yeah. one it ruins it for you and two it's incomprehensible in a lot of ways yeah so you kind of end up even if you do attempt to try and pick it all apart you end up going in circles and then you just let it wash over you and i think that's that's great but yeah. it's actively doing that like it's designed that way in some ways so mm. you know not everything can be that no and i'm going to bring the tone of the conversation right down now <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm going to talk about TMNT Urban Legends number one. Yes. So, um, what what happened was IDW listened to the fans, supposedly. And uh, <laughs> they've started re-releasing the, uh, the Image Comics run of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as single issues. And they're not just re-releasing it, they're finishing it off. Because it was... Um, you had... The original image run, which ran for, which was the, is t- also known as Teenage Mutant, Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 3, ran for so many issues and they never finished it off. There was like a couple missing off the end. But what they've done is they've got the original team back together to finish off the run. So there's going to be, they're going to actually bring it to a proper ending as they re-release it, which is kind of a cool thing. And it's kind of cool to be able to read this in full because I have brushed with this run before. Um, but I've never really sat down and read the whole thing. I've just heard things about it that I thought were kind of weird, like the fact that at some point Raphael decides he's going to be Shredder and weird things happen to the Turtles. Like they, this, this run has no qualms about changing what we know about the characters. Like Donatello ends up as a cyborg at some point. Raph gets facially disfigured. We know that Leo loses a hand um splinter ends up as a bat yeah uh <laughs> but yeah i mean this um gonna gonna go right out and say it's not my favorite turtles but it's turtles um and it's i don't know is it some weird choices of how how this got put together and i can understand like uh, it for it's it's not being considered canon it's not considered canon this run uh because um peter laird didn't want anything to do with it so we're just um it, we're just sailing into this this kind of like weird space that turtles ended up in one time during the 90s and uh has it aged very well i guess is the question i should be trying to answer to you guys and i'm going to say probably not (laughs) it's very much what you would expect of the era the art is very much typical of the 90s of a 90s comic um these books were originally black and white and we're now getting them in color it's very 90s and some of the dialogue choices as well especially and also the character designs and the way they're drawn and you see this snapshot of this snapshot of what the comics were in the 1990s and you're looking at it with 2018 eyes and i think i mentioned this to you didn't i leon Um, yeah yeah like a couple of days ago when i was reading it i was like my 2018 eyes are having trouble with this very 90s comic yeah it's like you transported in time yeah exactly um and 
there's it, it's just um as i say character designs and in character designs and in dialogue choices like there's this uh this half naked ninja uh female ninja character um and she is very much half naked and she's almost wearing bondage gear isn't she yep <laughs> yep <laughs> and uh <laughs> there's the uh she she invades the turtle lair with these two cyborgs in the middle of the teenage mutant ninja turtles birthday which is hilarious in itself so it's like their 18th birthday and they're all celebrating and there's a birthday cake then all of a sudden donatello gets shot up the first page is donatello getting shot up um then uh like these two cyborgs come in these two buff hyper 90s cyborg characters hyper 90s comic cyborgs with organic metal cells that can repair themselves and rebuild severed limbs and stuff like that you know and it's just uh it's cheesy and i guess part of the reason i like it is because it's kind of trash um but I, you know, I mean, like, it does have its problems, as I say, in the way, even in this first issue, straight away, the way it depicts this female character, and the way the turtles talk about her as well. Yeah, you showed the screenshot, and it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's not good. I know. <laughs> and like, like you are saying, coupled with her outfit, which has like, you know, you get like, you get like midriff windows, yeah. you get like boob windows, sometimes you get like, uh, like, Glass windows in these costumes. This has like a pelvic window. Like her, her like anatomy is just so nineties. Um, yeah, it's like they drew her naked, then drew clothes on as an afterthought. Yeah, it's like what can we get away with? And not even clothes, just strips of fabric. <laughs> yeah, because she kind of has a look, a bit of like Electra. Yeah, but it's like Electra to the nth degree yeah because it but just you know, like mega generic yeah and it just it just struck me like looking at this now reading it now it just struck me as mm, i'm not into this you know and it, it did it does have its problems and it's very of its time and it's like it's almost trying to be ridiculously edgy so I don't know because the Ninja Turtles started out as edgy anyway like the the Turtles comics in the 80s were these underground um super violent books that uh, well super violent violent underground books um and you know they they didn't shy away from some of the stuff that comics were kind of you know like some of the, the the i guess comics were getting grim dark back then anyway but they 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 were dark anyway to begin with and then this kind of takes it to the next level i guess i guess that was what this run tried to do which is what happens with all this ott stuff happening to the turtles like them losing arms and things like that um but i don't know it just it just if either it either feels like a it was trying to parody 90s comics or it was just being very of the time and just took it to the nth degree and ended up being quite crass in places because of that i don't know like to the point that even the crass and problematic even in places when it did that um but yeah i mean i it yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
I was excited. <laughs> I was excited to get to reread it, and I guess that put a dampener on it when I finally, when I, well, to to read the bits that I hadn't already read, and when I opened this first issue, I guess that kind of put a little bit of a dampener on it for me. And it's hard for me to see why this is a fan, why this is something the fans wanted, because I I consider myself a, turtle, a teenage mutant ninja turtles fan. Um, anyone who knows me would consider me a teenage mutant ninja turtles fan. I hope. And this isn't something that I would have asked for, particularly. I mean, you know, it's as a, as a Turtles fan, I, it, it, I I'm not the type of Turtles fan that would ask for this to be reprinted. So it makes me think. I wonder who would. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 good to have it there for me to be able to reread it and to be able to see. You know, and. Yeah, I'm not. The the more I talk about it, and the more I think about it, the more that I'm not into this run at all. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, like to contradict myself from like five minutes ago, it's not canon anyway. Exactly. Yeah, and I I was <laughs> I was excited about it last like a couple of weeks ago when I heard they were re-releasing it because I was thinking, oh yeah, I get to read it. But then I come across this. This is the bit. These are parts that I haven't read before. Things that I hadn't seen up to now because I'd, I'd never read the first issue. As I said, I just read certain parts of it and seen certain bits to know what happens like with Raph becoming Shredder and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah, <laughs> there we go. And th- this was Image Comics in the 90s. So, um, I guess a lot of 90s image stuff was the more grimmer, the more darker, wasn't it? That was the whole point of image back then, I guess, in a way. Yeah, it's, it's all of them escaping the more, uh, say, yeah. conservative, like, big companies they were with at the time. Getting away from those rounded edges that Marvel and DC were imposing on them. Mm. But I think I think this is... This is, like, a level above... I guess maybe, um, and I think it's viewing it with 2018 eyes. It just does not wash with me and it probably won't wash with a lot of people because of that, because of the times we live in now and because of how, you know, how things are, but it's a snapshot of comics back then. And it's, yeah, you can see the problems that comics had and the problems that some comics probably still have reflected in these pages. So there you go, as a learning point, that's what you get from it. Um, and, yeah, um, that's me lowered the whole entire tone of the cast so far by bringing that up. <laughs> um, if you're interested, that's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, Urban Legends, and that is Gary Carlson, the author, Frank Fosco is the artist and cover artist. Eric Larson did a cover for it. Um, and uh, he's also an inker. We've got Chance Wolf inker and Adam Gazowski, the colorist. So yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I can't, I, I can't see why this ended up getting reprinted. To be honest, that that's my that's the point I'm taking away from this. Like, why did this get reprinted? Because it's not something that, as a turtle fan, I would have wanted. And I'm now thinking twice about picking the rest of it up. Even though there were certain things in there that I wanted to read again. But there we go. I don't know. I really don't know. Where do we go from there? Well, um, we move on to another comic by IDW, which is the Spider King. Which is another one that I'm now at the end of. We're at the end of uh, Spider King Chapter 1, as it were. Um, And... 
this is one of those comics it's already collected so you can already go out and buy the whole thing um because it was released as a collection before it got this four-part miniseries treatment um it was crowdfunded so that might have had something to do with it but i don't know so we're at the blood-soaked end of chapter one uh vikings versus aliens comes to its final conclusions and i loved it i loved how they have managed to fuse this medieval and sci-fi world into a fun action-packed visceral cartoon hurricane with a sense of humor um and the device they've used to achieve this is really something it's really cool so one of the things that when you look at a comic like this you think oh the sci-fi element's going to overwhelm it because how how do you pit these two opposing worlds against each other without having the easily more advanced and technologically capable world overwhelming these medieval like sword toting angry guys you know and it does it really well and it, it it's it's really cool how they've managed to fit it all together i have to say without spoiling it too much um and the cartoon styling of the book lends itself well to the over-the-top action that we get in the pages uh it's violence and uh, along with the beautiful colors and everything else it, it just it just all gels together so well and as violent as the book is it's not like um i don't know it's not it's not ott that it puts you off if you're not into because because even even not being like i don't know it's just it the way it works together with the colors and everything else is just so cool um and and some of the alien designs and everything else in this book with 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 this art style that this book has i mean we've talked about this book previously but it, it just it just really gels together really well and it really does a great job of what it's trying to get across and it's quite a triumph in that way actually because i've never read anything like it before um and we have these awesome alien designs we have the spider king which is like an extraterrestrial parasite and it's just ah uh, I, I want i want to talk about this stuff but i can't without ruining it for you and that would ruin the point of me talking about it because i'm supposed to get you <laughs> to read it um and the the action like the the way i mean i talked about the way it describes action but the way it displays action and the way it displays um like with the character designs and, ex and the dynamic expressions on people's faces in this book and everything else this cartoon style of this book is really cool um and it's it, it revels in its outlandish violence and everything else and there's some really cool comedy elements to it along the way as well which is quite nice and i i have a fave character uh she goes by the name of sigrid and she is a badass and that is definitely one worth picking up so yeah grab the collected edition you can find the separate issues grab the separate issues because i will 100 percent recommend that book and that is on idw comics and we have a creative team of josh van who is the author si uh, simone diamini who is the artist and cover artist uh david rubin is the cover artist and adrian block is the colorist and it is available in print. So yeah, Spider King. It's definitely one worth grabbing. That's cool. Just for just for the fact that it does something really different. I mean, how often do you see the extraterrestrial and the medieval cross paths 
in anything. You know? Um, so, that brings me on to the last thing on my list, uh, which I wanted to draw attention to. So, I'll just draw attention to this really quickly. And that is the recent Hit Girl comic that we've been getting. Now, uh, as I've, I've, again, this is something else I've spoken about before, and I did sort of like shade at the beginning of the uh, the cast that I was going to be talking about a lot of things that have um, already finished or have come to an end, things that I've been following and are now have now hit their end. So, um, this Hit Girl book, it's high octane, adrenaline fueled gun-toting, bomb-planting, wild action, um, as you might expect from something set within the the the, uh, the, the Kick-Ass universe involving hit girls. It's going to have guns in it. It's going to have violence in it because that's what these books do. Um, so she's been in Colombia and she's been... She, she's had this whole kind of like mad scheme worked out where... She is using a cartel hitman to wipe out other criminals. And it, there's this, this whole thing is building up to this one big master stroke at the end, which obviously gets revealed in this final book. And her, her, it's just the sheer devastation that they leave in their wake is hilarious in itself like she completely like she goes through that place with a steamroller like when she's taking these guys out these cartel guys don't even stand a chance (laughs) is this um like does it have any crossover with the recent kick-ass run no no it doesn't they're completely independent of each other right now I don't know if they're gonna if they're planning to cross them up later on, but right now they're completely independent of each other. Um, and it's just it's just brilliant fun. Uh, the violence, while gratuitous, it's got a sense of humor, and it the art lends itself well to this. In it, again, as I, I'm going back to what I said about the Spider King, but this is in a similar vein in the way that it communicates movement and the way that it communicates facial expressions, and it's very manga inspired art. So you know how uh, manga is very good at communicating speed and fast movements, and like um, cars rushing down roads and things like that. Yeah, like there's a, a certain like kinetic energy visible on the page yeah and manga's very good at that because manga's very good at doing fast-paced action like quick punches and fast reactions and things like that and this is very inspired by that it's got this very manga thing going for it um and it did the facial expressions as well especially like pain or shock when people are getting beat up and blown apart it just gives it this slapstick edge that that makes it makes you laugh at it when you shouldn't because you're laughing at these atrocities in these pages of this comic. But at the same time, it's actually funny. Because of the way that it's framed and the way that it's drawn. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing to say, really. But there we go. Uh, and it's... Um, 
yeah, it's it's just great at what it does, and it's great at being just you know like mindless. This this kind of like this mindless slapstick violence that it has with it, and it's just it's just good at that. Um, and it, it makes me laugh when I'm when I'm reading it, and it, you're laughing out loud when there's really terrible things happening. But then, then the way that it looks on the page is that you're meant to, you know. Uh, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just all great, all of it. And and going back to, um, what I was saying about this, this whole like uh, hit girl coming in like a wrecking ball, and like into Colombia like a wrecking ball. Well, you've got like the um, the front cut, co- the, the cover for. Um, for for issue four of this run is kind of like the icing on the cake as far as that goes because it is literally a parody of the uh the miley cyrus wrecking ball video oh really (laughs) yeah so you've got hit girl on a wrecking ball that looks like planet earth coming in through a wall um kind of like the miley cyrus wrecking ball video and it's great Uh, she's like busting in through this wall yelling something into the air happy with herself you know um and yeah it's just great and uh next stop for issue five is a new creative team we've got jeff lemire and we're going to canada so (laughs) that's going to be fun see what happens in canada like literally i think i think we're going to be getting like every so many issues we're going to be getting a new destination and possibly a new creative team which is a cool way to handle it i quite like that so yeah, next stop Canada after Colombia after the the sheer devastation that she's left behind in Colombia, which I was totally on board with, and uh, the creative team behind that one we've got uh, the writer Mark Miller, uh, the artist uh, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, uh, the cover is by Amy Reader, and we have a variant cover which is Amy Reader and uh, we have variant covers by Amy Reader and Matteo Scalera or Matteo Scalera. Um, and this was published May 23rd. So that was like literally last new comics day. So, um, yeah, I, you can wait for that to be, I'm sure that's going to get collected into the first volume. I'm sure it's going to be like a four issue volume or if they're still on the shelves, go and grab them. Um, in fact, yes, it is a four issue volume because I've just seen here hit girl TP, what hit girl volume one TP, which I believe is supposed to be out June 20th and that will be hit girl in Colombia. So that's like the first bit. And the cover for that is, um, hit girl walking away from an epic explosion going on behind her and some crazy fireworks, which is foreshadowing for things that actually happen. So yeah, (laughs) give it a go. It's great. Um, and that, that kind of wraps up my list right now. Um, I don't think I've got any more. I think I'm all comic out. Uh, I think that just brings us on to sort of like uh, your last one, doesn't it, Liam? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I won't spend too long on this. Cause, uh, I'm probably going to speak about it more in detail in a future cast, and we're running a bit long. But um, as as part of the what I was saying earlier, in terms of catching up with comics that I've started, um, I started the Wicked and and the Divine, which is the uh, comic written by uh, Kieran Gillen and the art done by uh, Jamie McKelvey. And this is the book that uh, follows a young teenage girl 
uh, called Laura, uh, as she interacts with the Pantheon, which is a group of 12 people who discover that they are reincarnated gods. The, um, and so what happens when, once they discover this, um, they get fame and, and like supernatural powers and they're, and, and they're worshipped. But there's a stipulation that they will die within two years as part of this 90 year cycle known as the recurrence. And, um, it's basically, so at the time, back in 2014, uh, this started in June 2014, I was reading it uh, monthly and I read the equivalent of the first two trades. And then I dropped off and I was just waiting for more trades to come off. Uh, but then I just left it and left it and left it. And so this ended up pretty high on my list to be, um, to revisit. Um, so I started from the beginning, uh, the first trade, which uh, collects issues one to five. And, uh, the trade is, well, the, the arc that the trade's named after is the Faust Act. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's nice diving back in. I've always been a fan of Gillen and McKelvey. I really like their work on Phonogram and, uh, Young Avengers. And there's just something, um, really funny with how Gillen's writing embodies these characters. It's that very sort of idiosyncratic, uh, people thinking out loud to themselves and, Lots of like weird and funny references to like current times. And this is set quite current or current for when it first started. Um, and things like social media and the media in general, uh, and the notion of like obsession and worship and pop stars and celebrities plays uh, like a big part in there. And it being focused on gods, there's a lot of crossover. Uh, at least on the surface with say Neil Gaiman's American gods, but. Um, but yeah, go, going back and, and starting this again, it, 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 I think it hits the ground running in a really cool way. It introduces these gods who have such great designs as, uh, uh, McKelvey is, is, uh, just known for, um, really clean lines, um, really, um, just really cool, like outfit designs, really, um, cool like the, the way he captures like facial expressions um it's just so they're, they're natural but like just really well done where you can you can just read completely what the character is thinking in lieu of like a, a thought bubble so um yeah like, i'm loving jumping back into there and i will be checking in with this um as i uh, read it to get up to date. Currently, I believe there are 40 issues, um, 36 regular and four specials. Um, and I'm going to catch up and be up to date. And, um, uh, as I catch up and finish the boys. So, um, I'll be checking back in of this and I've got more to say about it that, um, that even avoids like spoilers for the most part. But, um, yeah, like, I'm really enjoying going back to this, and I'll just add an extra shout out to Matt Wilson, who is the colorist. And when I listen to the show, now I go on about the, the image colors and the purple and the fusion. What I when I get a good image book, 
the type of feeling and look that I get. And I think, uh, I remember Wilson's work being like a very big part of that. Um, I just, I just love the, the tones, um, that he uses, but, um, yeah, I'll speak more about this on a future episode, but, um, yeah, definitely loving jumping back into the wicked and the divine. Mm, Yeah. Um, that's one that's been on my i've got this like heavy list of things that i need to that i would love to start reading and that's one of them so i need to get on that at some point um that's the last of the comics isn't it that's that's brought us to the end so uh i guess that just leaves us to be complete shills doesn't it leon and talk about something that we've something else that we've done recently um, which involved us having to watch Batman Ninja. Indeed, Batman Ninja. Yeah, so uh, this is us being a shill for another podcast that we've been on, which is uh, an episode of Dynamite in the Brain, where me and Leon uh, discuss Batman Ninja, which I believe that should be releasing soon. Um, yeah, which... I'm not sure exactly when it's out, but it will be, I, I reckon it will be in close proximity to the release of this episode. Yeah. So uh, there's an episode of where me and Leon kind of sort of uh, give our opinions on the recent straight to Blu-ray DC offering that is Batman Ninja. And uh, yeah, go listen to Dynamite in the Brain and see what we think. Um, that's Dynamite in the Brain with uh, Brian and Askew, which uh, you can find them on Facebook and everywhere, pretty much. Same place yeah, you it, can find us. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the thing, like, it, 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 it's a great... Um opportunity because the venn diagram of comics and anime which is what their podcast is centered on yeah uh come straight together and right in the middle there is batman ninja and um yeah we 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 get we get we get into it and we we discuss it and it was a really fun discussion it's always nice to um jump on a podcast with brian and uh and ask you um and sort of hash it out um it's always always a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of fun doing that so yeah definitely check that out it is it's always it's always good to to kind of have a conversation with those guys and jump on with those guys like you say it's always it's always good fun and uh, it's always a nice opportunity to um when when the paths cross for comics and anime or whatever and we get these these cool sort of like one-shot movies and things like that it's always a great opportunity to sort of talk about that and it's great so yeah uh go and check that one out because it's cool and uh, dynamite in the brain yes and uh as i've said before you can find them everywhere you can find us so when i reel off the list at the end of this episode pretty much you'll find them everywhere as well and um pull this time so uh during this recording ray has had to duck out um he wanted to he wanted me to say bye on his behalf um it was as we were talking about um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Really, he uh, he had to leave. He had to leave the yeah, recording. Yeah, he just, but... he just couldn't take any more. Yeah, he couldn't couldn't take any more of it. I, I brought the conversation down to such a low, low level that he just he just had to leave the room. He's so incensed and disgusted. Um, Pelvic windows are the yeah. line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that comic! Oh dear. Anyway. Um... So, uh, yeah, the more I think about that book, the more I'm starting to think, like, even though I love the Turtles, I just don't want to buy the rest of it. I probably won't buy the rest of it. Um, if it's all in the set, I mean, other than the bits I've already read, 
I mean, I knew it was going to be grim, dark nineties anyway. But if it's all in the same kind of vein as that, then I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy it. But uh, onto the pull list. So uh, coming out this week, the 30th of 5th, 2018. So I'm going to do my list, and I'm going to do Ray's list. So for me, we've got Barrier number five, which is the end of Barrier. It's been weekly, and it's been only available in print unless. Uh, as Leon pointed out last time we talked about Barrier, you can go to the, um, there's a website where you can still get it, isn't there? And it's like, yeah. pay what you want at the moment. Um, we've got Versus number four. Um, realm, the Realm number six. Uh, the Realm has been one of my favourite comics from sort of like end of last year, beginning of this year. Um and I wholeheartedly recommend it. It is post-apocalyptic fantasy. So Dungeons and Dragons meets Mad Max, I guess. Or Dungeons and Dragons meets The Last of Us is probably a better way to put it. Um, we've got uh, a comic called Blackwood. Um, it'll be a number one. And this is something new from Dark Horse. And uh, I'm going to read out the previews blurb for this one. So Blackwood from the multi Eisner award winning creator of Beasts of Burden and the artist of Archie and Slam comes this supernatural fantasy about a magical murder in a sorcery school. When four teenagers with haunted pasts enroll in Blackwood College, a school that trains students in the in the occult, their desire to enhance their supernatural abilities and bond with others is hampered by an undead dean's curse. Um, ghosts in their dorm, a mischievous two-headed mummy chimp and a plague of mutant insects. Instantly appeals to me. <laughs> and the discovery of an ancient evil that forces our heroes to undergo a crash course in the occult for the sake of the world. So, what I'm getting from this is I'm getting vibes of... Uh, Harry Potter, um, also getting vibes uh, like like a kind like a kind of a darker Harry Potter, I guess, is what I'm hmm. getting from this, and I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of into it. I'm gonna buy it and see what it's all about because the oh, the cover looks really cool as well. Anyway, um, it's like a black cover with lots of pinks and purples going on, so it's like this kind of like neon thing, this neon black and yellow, like standing out bright off this this black background. Um, lots of pinks, lots of purples, lots of like kind of neon blues and stuff. And it just, it just looks like severely cool basically. So that's something that's on my list and that is definitely up my alley and I shall be picking that up on Wednesday. And that is uh writer, Evan Dorkin and artist, cover artist, Veronica Fish. Um, we've got Batman prelude to the wedding, Robin versus Rachel Ghoul. So, I guess in the lead up to Batman and Catwoman getting married, we're getting this kind of like prelude to the wedding thing. And then the wedding's probably going to be some multi-part event. I'm not sure. But far be it from DC to miss an opportunity to sell comics like that. Um, so we've uh, we've got like this uh, these kind of like prelude to the wedding thing that are, that are going to be going on and we, this week we've got Robin and Rachel Gould so that's Robin Damien Rachel Gould being Robin's granddad um and we've got uh, Doomsday Clock number 5 uh we've got Infinity Countdown Captain Marvel which is part of the ongoing Infinity Countdown event that Marvel are doing right now uh we've got Abbott number 5 I believe that's the end of Abbott isn't it Leon is that the last one um, I'm not sure. Um, 
I thought it I was mean, only a short thing. Yeah, so... I remember it being short. It's, it, it might be five. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I've got a feeling that's the end, but don't quote me on that because it could be six. But I'm, I was pretty sure that it was going to have a short run, and I had it in my head somewhere that it was five. So we'll, we'll, we'll say that. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, that Abbott's been really cool so far. Um, I've really been enjoying reading that, and I've been keeping up with that. And that's definitely one, one for the, uh, one for the long box, one for the ages. Um, if you've not been buying it week uh, monthly, then uh, definitely one to pick up when it's collected because it'd be a good addition to anyone's bookshelf. I co-sign um, that. Yep, uh, we've got Jughead the Hunger as well, uh, number six. So this is uh, Jughead as a werewolf. Um, burger-loving werewolf in Riverdale. I guess is the best way to put it. American werewolf in Riverdale, I don't know. But yeah, Jughead the werewolf. And uh, Betty is a werewolf hunter. And um, it just all spirals on from there. It's one of these one of these Archie, Archie horror book type things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. And... Uh, Keeping in the same kind of trend, we've got Vampironica number two, which is Veronica uh, as a vampire. Again, Archie Comics. Uh, what was it you were saying about uh, Riverdale being Hellmouth at one point, Leon? <laughs> yeah, seemingly. <laughs> Everything happens in Riverdale. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm into this. Uh, these vampir- The first Vampironica book was really cool. Um, we talked about it on the cast. Um, the first one had a really sweet Frank Avila variant, uh, which I've got as my current phone background. Um, and in case you haven't realized, I am a big Frank Avila fan. He's like one of my favorite artists. So, um, this second, this new book has another, has a Frank Avila variant cover, which I'm, I'm really into. So yeah, definitely. Um, we've got, uh, another one actually that popped up on my radar that I talked about at the beginning of this cast, which was Star Wars Lando Double or Nothing. Um, right at the beginning of this cast, we sort of mentioned that when, uh, you guys, Leon and Ray were talking about the solo movie. So yeah, that should be pretty cool. Um, moving on to Ray's list. So this is Ray's list for the 30th of May. He's got John Wick number four, uh, John Wick. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> I've not read any of the John Wick comic, but uh, Ray rates it. And um, I rate the John Wick movies because John Wick. Aren't we getting a John Wick 3 soon? Hasn't that been... Yeah, they released a um, some publicity shots from it as well. Yeah, John Wick. John fucking Wick. <laughs> um, we've got Ms. Marvel number 30. Um, Ray is a big, big Ms. Marvel fan and, uh, yeah, the stories of Kamala Khan, she's a great character and, uh, the Ms. Marvel books are, are really cool. You should pick that up. Uh, so we've also got Lost Children, uh, Lost, uh, 2021 Lost Children, which, um, the blurb for this one is that it is for fans of Akira, Domu, A Child's Dream, Ghost in the Shell and Children of Men. Um, and it's, it's, it's been uh, toted. Uh, it's been it's been sold as Escape from New York meets the X Men. It's 2021. Detroit has seceded from the United States, and its citizens are under the control of a madman with extraordinary abilities. The only hope of retaking the city lies with four superpowered children, but their powers come with a price. Using them means aging prematurely. Can they save the city before their powers use up their lives? 
Um, sounds really cool. The big draw for me with this one is the fact that um, we've got a uh, a Stoko cover for it. So James Stoko, um, one of my favorite artists, and some really cool Godzilla books. Uh, he's good at drawing junk, piles and piles of beautiful junk, and really detailed drawings. He's good at that, and uh, that's this cover plays to his strength. It looks really cool. Mm. Um. We have uh, Vagrant Queen number one. So Vagrant Queen, a uh, former child queen leader, was driven from her throne at age 10 and forced to wander the galaxy, evading the revolutionary forces that wanted her dead. When an old frenemy claims to know the whereabouts of a leader's long-lost mother, she is forced to return to her former kingdom and stage a rescue. Interstellar Badassery by Eisner-nominated writer Magdalene Vigar- uh, Visagio um, of... Uh, the comic Kim and Kim and his artist Jason Smith. Um, so I, I don't know. Is Kim and Kim a comic? I'm not sure. I believe it must be in this in this uh, context. Um, but I'm uh, yeah. This is one that Ray was looking forward to, um, and it does look kind of cool. It's, it's kind of like this sci-fi thing going on for it, and uh, the art is it's very very painted, very free and borderless, which is always kind of nice to see. Um. We're on to the uh, the sixth of the sixth now, for real. So uh, there's a book that popped on my radar called Sword Daughter that's coming out, which is um, very briefly a story of revenge, and um, it's basically a whole village is wiped out, uh, save for a young girl and her grief-stricken father, um, and they set off on a revenge quest that spans sort of like Viking entirety of Viking Age Europe, and they find. Um, the key to repairing their damaged relationship lies in the swords that they carry and it is uh, basically um, a Viking revenge saga inspired by Lone Wolf and Cub. So that sounds pretty pretty good. Uh, it's one to look out for. We've got Isola number three, uh, another Batman prelude to the wedding and this time it's Nightwing and Hush. Uh, we've also got um, Ghostbusters crossing over number three. Um, which is part of the ongoing Ghostbusters crossing over event, which brings together Ghostbusters from across the Ghostbusters multiverse all into one healthy comic, which is really cool. Um, and uh, for Ray, we've got on the 6th uh, of 6th, he's got Sword Daughter, which we've just talked about, and also Dazzler X-Song. Dazzler being the um, super 70s disco queen mutant. Um, I don't know if you've ever brushed with Dazzler before, Leon. Um, only intellectually, like I've read um, things about her and like stories, but never. Like, I've all, all, always heard about her in a novel. Like, man, when is it Marvel? Marvel? Yeah, yeah, Marvel. Yeah, it's like, oh, when Marvel get to Dazzler, we'll know that we've we've done everything. <laughs> I always know about it in that context. Yeah, Dazzler is a um, is she's a mutant, um, and um. She appears in a lot of X-Men comics and has been in uh, a few X-Men books that I own, actually. Um, I've known her in the sort of like disco queen context because she's usually portrayed as a disco singer. Um, But in this one, um, there's never been a cooler time to be a mutant in the Brooklyn punk scene. Straight away, out of the gates, Dazzler is now fronting a punk band. Um, and uh, the image we get of Dazzler on the front cover is 
she's looking very punk. She's got an undercut hairdo. Um, she's shouting into a microphone, wearing a leather studded jacket and stuff like that. You know, studded belt, sort of like pretty punk get up she's got going on and um it's quite an in- quite interesting actually like dazzler being sort of like reimagined as a punk i guess is what they're going for uh again writer we've got um magdalene visagio uh artist laura braga and elizabeth talk as the cover artist um so i'm guessing yeah i mean i mean i might end up picking that one up you know just to see um and that is it for this kind of bumper edition of Ace Comicals because we, yeah, it's going to be a long one. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to sign off. So that has been Ace Comicals number 36. You can find us at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything, as we've mentioned before. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. And you can uh, interact with us on Twitter. You can send us a DM. If you've got a question for us, you can send it to um, acecomicals.gmail.com. Uh, oh, sorry, acecomicals at gmail.com. Um, or you can DM us to our Twitter account, or you can send us a message on Facebook. Uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter, which is at Bato. That's at B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, we encourage you to join the conversation. Leave us some comments. Um, leave us a review. Tell us what you think of the show. Um, get you know, get involved. Send us some replies, things like that. Um, tell us what you think about the books we read. Uh, you can find us to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castro. Um, Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. That has been Ace Comicals number 36. So Ace Comicals, over and out.